Amen. Thank you so very much. Good morning. On this New Year's weekend, we have the opportunity now to be able to pause, reflect, look back, look ahead. And communion gives us that great opportunity, doesn't it, for us to be able to think this way. Seems appropriate where with a, a new year, New Year's weekend as it is, the comings and goings of people on a weekend like this is obvious. But we have the opportunity to pause now and to think about something pertaining to the new in comparison to the old. And I can't think of a passage of scripture that helps us to think this through more clearly and more distinctly than the one we're turning to this morning in Hebrews chapter 9. It's in your Newer Testament. You're turning from verse 9 of the 19 of the ninth chapter down through verse 25. I want to explore these verses together for a few moments and allow them to be the means by which we're preparing our hearts and our minds this morning for receiving the bread and the cup together. And here what you and I find is that the writer of Hebrews is transitioning through and from some extraordinarily rich teachings regarding the work of Christ on the cross to answering the question, now what? What do I do with what I've just heard? And so that's why the therefore is there. So in verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 9, notice how this is penned for you and for me. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, notice the first by, by the new and living way, notice the second by, that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have and now connect the sins we have in verse 19 to the sins we have in verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, now notice with me three phrases, all utilizing the words, let us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day I'm drawing near. So that's what we're going to be exploring this morning. All of this is a means, you see, of being able to prepare your heart, my heart, our hearts collectively uh, for receiving uh, the bread and the cup in just a few moments as we look to our Lord down in prayer. And now our Father, what we want to do is, as the heading puts it this morning, to 
take time to ponder the new, not the old, the living way, not a dead way, the means, the access by which you allow us to be able to commune with you. Spiritually speaking, to be able to enter into your presence exclusively because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, not what we can do for you. And thus the cross. And thus we see how your wrath came down upon Christ on our behalf as our substitute, allowing us, Father, to experience the grace that is found through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The passage is profound. It transitions and equips us to transition so that when it comes time, Father, for the bread and the cup, we're going to do it in a way that gives added significance to who Christ is and what Christ has done. These few moments are important on a New Year's weekend like this, in the comings and goings of people. You're there with us. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. As again now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus, him only, praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the story of two soldiers in the midst of the World War II battle. In one of the rock galleries of Gibraltar, these two British soldiers had mounted their guard one at each end of the tunnel. What's interesting is that one was a Christian, the other was not at this point, but he was grappling with where is God in the midst of the World War II scenario in the afflictions of humankind. He was burdened for his family and the air raids that were taking place. Two soldiers. One believer, the other not. It's about midnight, and the soldiers were going through their rounds. One was, interestingly enough, meditating upon the blood of Jesus Christ. Brought him such peace. The other soldier, lack of peace. But trying to figure out from his childhood what Christianity was all about in this day and age in which he lived and how it related to his own personal lack of peace. When suddenly an officer challenged the Christian soldier and demanded the password, his response the blood of Jesus Christ. Called out the startled soldier, forgetting the password in the thoughts of his heart. Well, immediately he supposedly corrected himself and gave the supposed correct password. Officer was amazed, but simply passed on. But now the rest of the story. 
Uh, the words had run through the rock galleries of Gibraltar, echoed the solid walls. Again and again and again, the echoing sound, the blood of Christ, penetrated the ears of the doubting, seeking soldier. He would later say it was as if the heavens were speaking. The words seemed so direct to the need of the moment. The blood of Jesus Christ. It was the password. It was the access that was being provided in the midst of the conflict of this world. What I want to do this morning is to explore this password with you. Think it through very carefully and draw out for us two what I will call password observations that have direct bearing upon how we prepare our minds and our hearts for receiving the bread and the cup. If you're watching online this morning, we encourage you to have cup bread ready in the moments to come and think about what we're exploring in these verses together. To what I'll call this morning password observations. And the first flows out of verse 19 down through verse 21. As you and I reflect upon Christ's finished work on the cross, begin here by noting with me the access that God has provided for us. It's access. And what I want you to look for are words such as by, words such as through, and consider now the password code that's being offered to you and me to enter into the cosmic throne room of the universe that we're demonstrating, exhibiting with the bread and the cup. And he begins, therefore, brothers. Fascinating. Because he says brothers. So now he's talking believers at this point, but in this case, a particular gathering of believers, Jewish believers, <coughs> people who have grown up with an understanding of uh, Judaism and all the sacrifices of the older system practiced generation by generation by generation. God's about to break into their traditions. He's going to offer something new rather than something old. So your first heading in verses 19 through 21, as we reflect upon Christ's finished work on the cross, note the access God has provided for us. And so now in verse 19, therefore, brothers, and we have the first of two since we have, sleeping out of these verses for you and for me, mark them, the first one is this, since we have, and since we have what? Because since we have, carries with the idea that you have some form of possession here. You have something going for you here. You have, I have, if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, we have confidence to enter the holy place. Pause. That is the last thing that the average Jew would have considered possessing. Confidence to enter the holy place? 
why the holy place was the distinguishing feature by which God revealed himself to be the one set apart from humankind. And there was this extraordinary curtain of the temple that would be found there. It was the, it was the most well-known of the 13 curtains in the temple. Woven with expensive yarns from Babylon in blue, white, red, purple. With representations of the cherubim. The idea was that it was to block all eyes from and, and to hinder access to the Holy of Holies of the temple, except once a year when the high priest entered how? With blood offered for himself. Compare that with Christ. Blood offered for us the sins of the people. Now, they would have lacked confidence without embracing the idea of putting faith in the final sacrifice, the one we know as Jesus Christ. I want you to contrast this, if you will, with what you and I are told in the opening scenes of history, where in Genesis chapter 3, of verse 24, you and I are informed that God drove out the man, speaking of Adam, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim. Now remember what was on, what was on the curtain that I just described for you. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way Listen carefully now to how Genesis 3, verse 24 unfolds and connects with the passage we're considering this morning. To guard the way to the tree of life. The way to the tree of life. And we're talking about the new and living way. What we're seeing at this point is that in the Older Testament, access was denied. Due to the sinfulness of humanity and the sinlessness of the Holy One, our God, there was no way to be able to enter into God's presence. You see. Understand the richness of this. And he's saying you have confidence? That would not be the emotional experience of the average Jew. Something has changed. What delivers such confidence for you and for me to be able to take the bread and the cup this morning? We have confidence to enter the holy place circle the word by it's by the blood of Jesus now what we have to understand at this point is that it does not read 
We have confidence to enter the holy place by our good works. We do not have confidence to enter into the holy place by our denominational preferences. We do not have confidence to enter into the holy place based upon our supposed goodness. It's not about us. Notice how the by is connected. It's about Christ. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now the password at Gibraltar takes on added significance when you and I begin to consider the significance of what God has done for you, what God has done for me, when we think about the shed blood of Christ. Former professor of mine, Robert Coleman, wrote the book Master Plan of Evangelism and the Master Plan of Discipleship. In his book, Written in Blood, tells the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. Well, the doctor explained that she had the same disease the boy had recovered from two years earlier. Her only chance for recovery was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease. And since the two children had the same rare blood type, well, the boy was the ideal donor. Would you give your blood to Mary, the doctor asked. John hesitated. He lowered his lip, started to tremble, and he said, certainly, for my sister. Coleman tells us soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room. Mary, pale, thin, John, robust, healthy. Neither spoke, but where there's love, eyes meet. And John smiled. As the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, John's smile faded. He watched the blood flow through the tube. And with the ordeal almost over, his voice slightly shaky broke the silence. Doctor, when do I die? Only then did the physician realize why John had hesitated why his lip had trembled when he'd agreed to donate his blood. He thought giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. And in that brief moment, he'd made his great decision. And when Dr. Coleman penned those thoughts, the first time I came across them, I thought of this passage. Therefore, brothers, not all of humankind, not everybody has access. Therefore, brothers, 
since we have, there's your first since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. But now another by. It couples by the blood of Jesus with the next phrase in verse 20, by the new and living way. And so something extraordinary now has happened. What is now being done is, in essence, reversing what we read in that Genesis passage about the cherubim guarding entrance, access, access denied to Adam and Eve at this point. They were wanderers, like so many people of this world today, looking for a place to be. And the place to be is the place with God. He opened for us, you and I are told, the curtain. At this moment, your mind now goes back to that extraordinary passage in the physician's writings, Luke chapter 23. It was about the ninth hour. It was now the ninth, sixth hour, excuse me, which means 12 noon on the Jewish calendar. God, in his perfect timing, chose the point when the sun would be directly overhead to darken the skies. Don't miss the astronomical signals being sent from the cosmic realm. It was about the sixth hour, noon. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, you see. And while the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Not bottoms up, top down. Now this is happening in the darkness, not in broad daylight. It's as if darkness now has shrouded the eyes from the capacity to see what God is now doing as God's wrath is being poured upon, upon the second member of the Trinity. So the issue of sin is being dealt with once and for all. But while the curtain is being torn in two, still in the darkness, the Ark of the Covenant, the blood-covered mercy seat, cherubim, they're being opened to the world. This is no thin sheet, this curtain. There was a thickness to it. It's not meant to be torn with human hands. And if it were torn, it would be torn bottoms up. God is saying, top down. This is grace. Not works. And you sigh, you pause, you consider the tearing, 
And then and only then does Jesus, in the midst of the cosmic darkness, cry out with a loud voice, which is utterly astounding to us, and what he has endured on that cross, that he even has the capacity for such a voice. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And while the wanderers of humanity are trying to take matters into their own hands, Christ finishes the work on the cross and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And now the writer of Hebrews commenting on this, you see. We're still in verse 20. We're talking about by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. In other words, it's by the blood of Jesus, not the Old Testament sacrifices, which were simply precursors that were directional signs towards the ultimate sacrifice, Christ. The second, by, by the new and living way, we merged them together. Notice that it says that he opened for us. And not that we opened it for ourselves. He opened it for us because unless God does this for sinful humanity, not vice versa, he opened for us through the curtain. And then the caveat here, and I don't want you to miss it because it stands out, it's significant in what he's saying at this point. It is through his flesh. In other words, when Jesus' flesh was torn, it was so that the veil that kept men from God would now be addressed once and for all. The word new here, in the new and living way, prosphatos in the Greek, only used once in the Newer Testament, literally means freshly killed. It seems ironic, doesn't it, that this final and ultimate sacrifice is the means for life for us through the death of Christ. Now, if there was not the tearing of his flesh, then he would have simply been a, an example for us, a teacher for us, but not the Savior for us, you see. And so all the sacrifices of the older system, subjective in the way in which they offered forgiveness, because the people, the Jewish people needed to do it, were indicators of the final sacrifice, the objective sacrifice, where forgiveness is established once for all. And notice the five times the once for all concept is used in Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 10 so that you and I have access through his flesh. Uh, this uh, past week, we, the extended family gathered together uh, like many people did for for Christmas, first time, I think, for what, two years, maybe, that everybody was under one roof. 
And, and so the talk goes in various circles and the things that interest them. Some are talking world travels and the likes. And the, the medical people in the family were talking medicine. Baseball inevitably came up. That's, that's just simply a given. Somebody off to the side asked Benjamin, the youngest in the family, about his new job, and I, I listened in. He lives in Dallas-Fort Worth area, you see. He and his wife, Jessica, taking a new position at the airport. Um, his position title, control center coordinator, where he stands in front of multiple screens and while standing in the control tower, guides the pilots as they're making their way down the runway to the terminal, communicating directly with each pilot as hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of flights keep coming in Dallas-Fort Worth, simultaneously communicating with the people out on the runway about clearance, making certain that all systems are go so that there is ease by which one has access to arrive at the terminal. One wonders, does the passenger or the passenger, shall we say, on the plane think about all these things? What's entailed in creating such access? Do we think about what's entailed in such access when we partake of the bread and the cup? That it was in the cosmic darkness, not in broad daylight, veiled the temple thick as it was torn in two. Everything now of the cosmic vitality exposed, life, access, reversals of the Genesis account where everything was denied. And isn't it ironic that the cherubim that was responsible for guarding the way to God, keeping it access denied for the sinful ones to enter before the sinless one in the garden, that their very symbolism is found on that curtain, the curtain is now torn, and now God is saying, I did this. And generation by generation, the promises of old paved the way for this pivotal moment in time where God connects the Bethlehem story with the Calvary story. And now the sinless one, born of the virgin, is on that cross as all of this is now unfolding. Access. True access done by God, not by us. So you and I reflect upon Christ's finished work on the cross. You note the access then in verses 19 down through verse 21 that God has provided for us. And so to highlight it, he takes the second of the two since we have in verse 19, now verse 21, to drive the point home. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, alluding to the fact that this one who died is our high priest. He provides access. Now he reigns over. 
Out of all this, then, what you do with me is you couple what I'm going to call your second password observation. Where in verses 19 through 21, we were given the access God has provided for us. Now in verses 22 through 25, you spot with me the appeals that God makes to us, made to us, if you will. And we, in the reading this morning, highlighted the three significant let us statements. But I want to see how each of the phrases let us tie to the idea of the great triad of faith, hope, and love. Your first let us, verse 22. Let us draw near, he's saying to all who have put faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work. Let us draw near, how? What I want you to see here is that he begins with the idea of a true heart, a sincere heart, a genuine heart, a holistic heart, and now coupling the confidence of 19 with the assurance, full assurance of verse 22, he drives home the first of the three significant elements of the triad, faith, hope, and love, with the idea of faith, full assurance of faith. In Christ's sacrifice, you and I then, when we are looking at the bread in a few moments, the broken body concept. We commune because we have full assurance, not on the basis of our goodness, it's not there on the basis of Christ's sinlessness and Christ's finished work. But notice now how holistic the writing is. It combines the internals and the externals all within one phrase in verse 22. Our hearts sprinkled clean, that's the internal dimension, from an evil conscience. Our bodies washed with pure water, the external dimension. In other words, now, what God is saying is that holistically, internally, externally, when you've put faith in Christ and his finished work, You've got full assurance, therefore draw near. Let us do it. And then you're on to your second in the triad. Let us, once again, you saw the first in 22. Here's the second in 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. That's the perseverance of the saints for some raised in that background of understanding uh, eternal security, and eternal security produces internal security for you, for me. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, you see. He adds, without, without wavering. Those in our congregation, those watching online, if you were raised with the Heidelberg Catechism, you get to Lord's Day 23 that talks about true faith. And the question 59 posed is, but how does it help you now that you believe all this? 
what the writer's now saying, here's how it helps you. First of all, you are able by faith to come in to the presence of God. Second of all, by hope, through hope, you are able to look at the future. The faith element looks back and the hope element looks ahead. It's astounding how he's pulling all of this together. Someone once asked Billy Graham how with all the evil that exists in the world, he could still be optimistic about the future. And Mr. Graham responded, I've read the final chapter of the book and I've got such great hope. And the writer says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful, not that believers are faithful, but that he who promised is faithful. He is the promise keeper. Which leads you to the third, let us. And you couple it together. There's faith, there's hope, but now there's love. Where in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love the phrasing here, don't you? First of all, it carries out the idea of the collective gathering of God's people. We don't live in isolation from. We are integrated with. But he's forcing you and me to deal with the hows of life. He doesn't merely tell us to stir up one another to love and good works. I'm going to have to deal with the how question. How am I going to do that for a person X over here and person Y over here? Because what they need might be different from what she needs, you see. How then do I minister to that person? How then do I minister to that person? Notice the how. He's forcing us to think. Let us consider, that's a thinking matter, how to stir up one another to love and good works. Well, Herman Ostry's family was thinking because out in Nebraska, the barn floor was under 29 inches of water from a rising creek. And so in Bruno, Nebraska, the farmer invited well, a few friends to barn raising. Didn't know how they were going to do it because he needed to move his entire 17,000-pound barn to a new foundation more than 143 feet away. But you see, his son knew people who knows people who know people. And his son devised a latticework of steel tubing, nailed, bolted, welded it, on the inside and the outside of the barn, hundreds of handles were attached, and Herman was saying, why so many handles? But now the rest of the story. Herman looked off into the distance, and lo and behold, over the course of the farming landscape, 344 people from the broader Mennonite community were making their way towards Herman's barn. Slowly, surely, arriving on the scene. And then they walked the barn up a slight incline, 
Herman is watching, stunned, absolutely stunned at what's occurring. Each supporting less than 50 pounds, get this, in just three minutes, the barn was on its new foundation. Newscasters were talking about this and people on the scene that wrote about this for the news outlets. Someone asked, are these your all, these your friends? Wow. Herman looked around and said, most of them are just strangers to me. But you see, faith, hope, love. What do you do with the access God has provided for us? You embrace the appeals that God has made to us with the threefold let us. The let us of faith, the let us of hope, the let us of love not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit, evidently some have, be, have developed that habit of some, but encouraging one another because there is this sense of corporate encouragement. You do it in your life groups. We do it in Awana. We do it in youth ministries. We do it in adult ministries. All the more as you see the day drawing near but you see, that soldier was wondering if the day was drawing near when suddenly an officer challenged the Christian soldier demanding the password, the blood of Christ. And in the process, like an echo chamber, the words penetrated going from one side of the tunnel to the other where a soldier grappling with the meaning, the purpose of life, and where's God in the midst of it all, again and again and again in echo form, broke into his heart the precious blood of Christ. It ties together, you see. There's access, but it's through Christ. In Christ alone. So as the worship team prepares to come up, as John equips us to understand the significance of the communion experience they are about to enter into, let's look to the Lord in prayer. So our Father, I think again, I feel like I just scratched the surface of this passage. But Father... There is a depth and a breadth to this access that we need to examine and explore on our own to even greater degrees to fully embrace the significance of what took place on the cross. Yes, it's out with the old and in with the new. We're into 2022 but something more significant than a new year is the idea of the new and living way. That's what's eternal. Everything else temporal. May we be eternal people 
lifting barns, laying them on foundations, making statements to the world. There's access to God through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.